This is Dylan FM, the podcast that goes deep into the work and world of Bob Dylan. If you love Dylan, you're in the right place with your host, Craig Danuloff. Dylan worked on Empire Burlesque for most of 1984. He began writing the songs in rehearsals early in the year, around the time he was jamming with the plugs, which of course culminated in that March appearance on Late Night with David Letterman. When his first live shows of 84 began, the first concerts he'd given in two and a half years, he brought songs to work on during the tour. That tour went through Italy, Germany, Switzerland, France, Spain, and England between May and July of 84. And when it was over, Dylan headed to New York and began to record. At this point, Dylan is producing himself. Musicians were coming and going. He worked in two different studios in New York in July and booked more studio time in L.A. in November and December of 84. As 85 began, he was in the studio as well, with more sessions in L.A. in January and early February, he went back to New York and was there through early March. Arthur Baker was there for those last New York sessions and at another session with Dylan where he did a ton of overdubs. Baker would later get a remix credit on the record. This batch of sessions, nine different groups of dates over nine months, produced Empire Burlesque. It was released on June 10th, 1985, 18 months after Infidels. The Empire Burlesque page on Wikipedia actually does a pretty good job talking about the recording of Empire Burlesque. And for details, you'll want Clinton Halen's book, Recording Sessions, which has exhaustive details on players, songs, tracks, and dates. Links to both are in the show notes. When the world first heard Empire Burlesque, reviews were mixed, but mostly positive, if not effusive. Rolling Stone said it put the snarl back in Dylan's music. The Milwaukee Sentinel said it sounded half-finished. And Robert Christgau called it his best album since Blood on the Tracks, but said, I wish that was a bigger compliment. Today, I'm going to talk with Jim Baviglia about Empire Burlesque. Jim is an author and journalist who writes for American Songwriter and Culture Sonar and many other music websites. And he's written a bunch of books, including Counting Down Bob Dylan's 100 Finest Songs, Playing Back the 80s, and others. There are links to Jim's writing and books in the show notes. I got in touch with Jim after reading his Empire Burlesque commentary on a website called Countdown Kid, a site where he ranks each song on an album. And he's done a ton of Dylan albums, Costello, Petty, Zivon, and other similar artists. He joined me to talk through each of the songs on Empire Burlesque. We stick mostly to the released album, but later this season, we'll do an episode on both the Springtime in New York outtakes, there are 12 tracks there, and all the other unreleased stuff from the sessions mentioned earlier, because a ton of them circulate. If you're hearing this, you're listening to our public feed, and we'll hear about the first 20 minutes of this conversation. To hear the extended version where we finish the album, and to get all of our extended and bonus episodes, and those from every show on the FM Podcast Network, Subscribe at Apple Music or at fmpods.com. There are links in the show notes. Now, here's our discussion of Empire Burlesque with Jim Baviglia.
All right, Jim Baviglia, welcome and thanks for coming to talk about Empire Burlesque. Well, thanks for having me, Craig. Yeah, so the reason I reached out to you was an older review I found that you wrote, uh, you know, not contemporaneously, but back when you were looking at a, a lot of albums and and you let, you write a lot of reviews about there's a lot of Dylan albums on this site which I'll put the link into. You've got your 100 best Dylan songs book as well as uh, I see on Amazon that that series now covers at least half a dozen artists, which is pretty cool. But anyway, today we're going to look at Empire Burlesque, which marks the beginning of what I'm calling the five worst years of Dylan, at least in terms of in terms of releases. Um, you know, and an interesting album. There's a lot lot to say about it, and a lot that went into it. So we'll talk about it. But I guess you know, tell me, how did you come to Empire Burlesque? Meaning, where in your journey, Dylan journey, was that, and what was your initial reaction before you decided to go back and look at it ten years ago? Yeah, you know, I, I'm a child of the 80s, so I vaguely remember, you know, some of the videos from the 80s, but it really wasn't until I got into Dylan heavily when I was in college in the 90s and just started going back through all the albums and was an avid review reader like yourself, you know, reading Rolling Stone and all this stuff and always saw the reviews for Empire Burlesque and saw that, you know, some of them weren't all that kind. And was curious and eventually, you know, thought back then it was the CD. And when I when I listened to it the first time, I, you know, I immediately gravitated to it. You know, I, I didn't I didn't hear, you know, I heard the production concerns that a lot of people had. But maybe it's because I grew up in the 80s and I was used to that music that didn't really bother me. And I just found it a really accessible album. And, you know, I don't think I would call it one of my top 10 Dylan albums. But I think it might be one of the top ten that I listen to the most, just because it's you know it's it's never dull. It's you know it's very, like I said, it's very accessible, and uh, you know it's it's always surprising. You know each each track has a little bit going for it. Now it's the vinyl, and I listen to that all the time. And uh, you know I've had the chance to write it, I had the chance to defend it many times because, like like you said, a lot of people are a little bit leery of this uh period in dylan's career so so yeah I, i've been kind of on its side uh from from the very first time that i heard it i'm in the same boat i'm i heard it when it was new but that was infidels and and empire blessed were the first two dylan albums i had and listened to in college myself endlessly um so i also don't share the negative connotation i i didn't do the 60s and 70s live so this wasn't you know compared to anything for me and even still, I, I must say, I've been preparing for this. I mean, I do listen to this album a lot, I will say, but I listen to it quite a lot. And now there's, you know, there's high-res lossless, so you can actually hear a good version, obviously, of the vinyl as well. And we have the benefit of all the outtakes, which, you know, maybe we'll talk about a little bit. But I, I spent, uh, you know, a lot of time reading up on it and the different versions and takes. But I love this album. I mean, I really do. I, I think, yeah, is it going to be a top five Dylan album, given the other albums? No. But uh, it it isn't in the '80s doldrums. You know, it gets worse in the '80s, as we know, for Dylan. So, um, um, anyway, I'm glad you have a a positive outlook on it. The other thing I I noticed was you mentioned the reviews that the the contemporaneous reviews are not nearly as bad generally as the retrospective reviews. Mm -hmm. they, they certainly aren't uniform. You know, Rolling Stone, as you know, you know, Kurt Loder wrote and and really loved it. Um, generally, you know, puts the snarl back in Bob Dylan's music. A blast of rock and roll funneled through dense rolling production. And interestingly, for the first time, the music rivals the words for pure pugnacity. And there and there's some others of that time. Obviously, some people, you know, didn't feel that way, but you know, we're here a little bit to uh to praise, not bury. So um 
Anyway, what you did on on this this website called Countdown Kid, which is pretty interesting, is you rank each song, I guess, one to five stars. We don't have any ones in this uh, on this record. <laughs> and so, you know, I thought just as a way to to frame the conversation around it, we would just go through the album in in album order and talk a little bit about you know the songs and and your reactions. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, it's, it is interesting. You mentioned those reviews because, uh, it, 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 it seems like, you know, all the 80s stuff in retrospect gets hard and that's for every artist. You know what I mean? Like when they would come out in the eighties, everybody was kind of on board with them. And and then everybody kind of looked at the eighties. Well, Oh, the production. And I just, I, I have a hard time looking at it that way. And that goes for all those albums. And I, I think it's important to look at it in that context too, because Dylan was looking at, you know, Hey, David Bowie did this album where, you know, with the contemporary sounds had some big hits. Bruce Springsteen the year before had Born in the USA with, you know, the synthesizers on the first track, which was, you know, anathema for Springsteen turns into a big hit. Uh, Don Henley, all these people, these contemporaries were going this route. And so I think Dylan, you know, was kind of just falling into line with everybody. But I, I do think he gets judged at a higher standard because of what he had done before. And I think that skews the the way people look at this album. Oh, I, I agree. I think it skews it entirely. Uh, you know, as you listen closely, even to the production and the, you know, the playing, you know, there's a famous mm-hmm. quote, semi-famous, but, you know, from Keltner that, you know, he was taken off a song and put on replaced with a drum machine. And now we have Keltner's version on the uh, springtime box. But if you just listen to it, you know, I feel like if you're not, I don't know. And and clearly this is very personal. Like, like we said, kind of when you came to it, it, it's all great sounding music. And I think to compare it to other albums of other folks, either at the time or later, I think it stands up. We we get into the words, you know, Michael Gray, you know, reread last night, his chapter on uh, Empire Burlesque, and he's pretty hard on it from a, you know, holding it up to, you know, he he, he does one side-by-side comparison of um, Spanish Harlem, you know, and there's one set of metaphors that he finds, to, you know, and yeah, what's going to hold up next to Spanish Harlem? You know, I'll remember you, it's not. But um, anyway, well, let, let's let's take a look. So the first song on the album, which is at the time and to this day, I completely love, and, and we have three versions in a video, is uh, is Tight Connection to My Heart, at least as it was titled this time. And you gave it four out of five stars uh, in your retro review. So I want to tell us what you think about that then, now, and, and maybe now that we have the all the outtakes. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting that it, this is definitely the the song where you feel like he was reaching for that hit. You know what I mean? It, it, it's it's got the great hook. It's got the backing singers. I mean, it, it it's just that it was always a tough fit for Dylan to be heard in that way because the lyrics were never going to be as easy to digest on the radio as a Springsteen or you know any of those other people I mentioned it's just not that's not the way he writes so I think in that respect I mean he was probably overreaching trying to get a hit but in terms of just hearing the song now on its own it's just it's this fascinating thing it definitely kind of sets the tone on the record for this this character that he plays throughout, you know, a lot of people have made, you know, note of the fact that he borrowed a lot of lines from kind of film noir movies for this record. And he comes right off the bat, you know, with, with a lot of these lines and it it kind of sets the tone for the album, sets the character that he's playing. This guy kind of looking out at this world that he, he doesn't quite 
understand, doesn't quite relate to, and he's trying to find something to orient himself to this world. And in most of these songs, he's looking for that girl or looking for that love to kind of trying to be the thing that settles him in this like alien area that he finds himself. And so I think in that respect, it's a great kickoff album. And again, like you mentioned, like the rest of this record, it sounds great today and it sounds better today than it probably did upon coming out, you know, now that they have all the remasters and everything, but it's just one of these fascinating songs where Dylan is trying to be a hit maker and he's ends up creating something totally unique when he tries to do that. Yeah. Well, it is hard, I think for everyone naturally to go back to the time and place. Some people weren't there, um, but you know, we're not swirling in that, in that environment. So you listing all those other songs is a good point. And I, someone else I know you've wrote about Elvis Costello, you know, he did uh, every day I write the book. Right. It's kind of, you know, his, his seemingly reach for a hit in that time. And, and there's other songs that i think are the same and, and he regretted it afterward <laughs> well yeah he, he but he always he always comes around but um yeah, yeah. um elvis I, I always think of elvis because his, he uh goodbye crew world was another one where he tried to do that and then years later when he did the cd reissue he wrote the liner notes and he said welcome to my worst album <laughs> so very, very candid elvis was about that about that era in particular yeah, well, it's you know his quote of the period was that the '80s was the decade music forgot. Yeah, <laughs> so he he tried to write off the whole thing, um, but the, but but tight connection is a song you know as a Dylan fan, it's one that you think how can people not love this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can hear it being a hit, you can hear it being uh, you know accessible, and even if you're not a words person, you, it just sounds good, and yet a lot of these songs stick with the fans and don't cross over. I don't think they push this as a single. I don't know if the record company did what they, you know, right. could, could have done with it. Right. Um, but it's, it's, it's still a Dylan song, which is cool. It's not, you know, it's not like every day I write the book in that case, for example, Elvis, you know, compared to other Elvis songs, it's much simpler and more straightforward. This has the complexity, both lyrical and musical and inconsistency, meaning it, you know, covers a lot of ground on different parts of the song. And then there's that great video, obviously. With, yeah. Um, yeah. The, Unforgettable. The purple wig rolling down the steps. Yeah. Um, so, so four stars. So it's not, it's not at the top of your list, but it's not, it's not at the bottom. Yeah. And four stars I consider to be, you know, you put it on a playlist, you know, any playlist you might come up with, it's, you know, it's a song you're going to replay often. So that's, you know, that I consider high praise. Okay. And the next song on the record is seeing the real you at last, which does not fare as well in your list. It's a, it's a two star song. Yeah. And I think I might fight with myself on that a little bit now, you know, it's, it's, it is, you know, you listen to these things as time goes by and they, they kind of hit you in a different way. I I don't feel as harsh towards it now. If I have a problem with it, it's that it's, it's a bit more one-sided than a lot of Dylan songs, you know, where, where a lot of song, you know, the the classic one is idiot win where he's kind of, putting you, you know, against this person or against this thing, the whole song. And then he comes back around and he says, we're idiots, you know, like that's kind of the Dylan that I'm used to where he kind of looks at it from all perspectives. This one, it's kind of, well, you know, everything is kind of against this person. It's all kind of anti. And, you know, I've read, you know, people say, well, maybe he's talking about Christianity, you know, that he's, he's had a different, different kind of thought on it. Now the time has passed, whatever the case may be. 
that's the one issue I have with it. But on those terms, if you could remove it from, well, okay, Dylan doesn't usually write like this. I think it's, I think it's effective. So I think that maybe I was as guilty as anybody else there of saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm comparing it to the other stuff he writes. But if you just compare it to the average, you know, kind of hit maker of that era or the contemporary rock star, I think it, it, it holds up a little better in that respect. Sometimes I think that uh, songs and other things should be graded more like diving in the Olympics, that we need a degree of difficulty <laughs> score and an execution quality score. Yes. And, yeah. you know, the degree of difficulty, this is not shooting to be idiot wind or, you know, right. something else. It's, it's kind of a, of a low grade attempt. And I would agree it's in the bottom third of even of this album. But, and this is the you know, impossible task we're putting ourselves here to, is that it doesn't make it unenjoyable. Yes. It doesn't make it, if it was on the radio in the midst of, you know, 30 other things, it ain't on the bottom of that list. No. There's less going on here, clearly, but, you know, it's certainly far from one I would, I would ever skip on play. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm glad you made that point because that's, you know, when I was doing these reviews, that's exactly how I would try to look at it is, okay, what was the artist setting out to do? And then how well did they achieve that? And you're absolutely right that he's not trying to blow anybody's minds with this song. He's just kind of focusing on one emotion, one kind of attitude, and just kind of sticking with that, kind of driving it home all the way throughout the song. And I think I think the music kind of accentuates that as well. It's kind of confrontational in its way. So, so yeah, I, I, I totally agree in that respect that he wasn't shooting for big games, so to speak, here. And for what he was trying to do, yeah, it sounds great. The way the recording process worked is also worth, you know, mentioning a little, which is, you know, he just was recording songs for kind of 16, 18 months in different studios and different times. He was searching about with different players and then deciding as he went which ones to keep, which ones to discard. And I didn't know until I read, I'm you know, getting ready for this, that Arthur Baker was brought in so late in the process. You know, he was kind of handed a bunch of tapes and, you know, and Dylan worked with him, but produced these, so to speak. And he, he brought in other people that added stuff. Dylan came back and did overdubs. But the point is that in some cases, as we now, we now know, Dylan's editing wasn't great, both in terms of song versions or songs. But in other words, this, this is a song that probably he wrote, he wanted to finish, he finished, um, and for whatever reason, it fit the flow of the album or he liked it more than, you know, obviously there's great songs that came out later from this, from this time period. I don't know. I just think it, it kind of does matter. I don't think it makes it a worse album. I don't know if, that we need to care that the guy conceived of the whole thing at once and had a singular intent, but you know, you can see this as being a song that Dylan thought, okay, I'm going to play around and finish and do, and it is what it is. I, I think it's almost analogous to, you know, it's not quite the same, but it's like the Beatles with let it be, you know, where they just, they couldn't quite be bothered at that point because they were, you know, they were all kind of infighting and dealing with the lawyers and everything. They just kind of handed it off. And, you know, then after the fact, Paul McCartney was upset about a lot of it. But ultimately, you know, it might be Arthur Baker. And I've seen people, you know, kind of be harsh on Arthur Baker throughout the years and reviews and things like that. But I mean, ultimately, it's on the artist's. They're the ones that their name is on it. They're the ones who put this out. I mean, if Dylan could easily have heard what Arthur Baker did and said, "No, this is terrible," you know, and I'm I, I'm I'm not I'm not doing any of this. But he he signed off on it. And again, Arthur Baker was just doing what the era kind of prescribed. And and so yeah, I I think you're definitely right that it's it, there's a lot of that to, to a lot of these songs where you wonder how much Baker's vision might have transformed what was originally there. 
But, you know, what he ultimately produced was very era appropriate and and really still holds up pretty well. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think to blame him for doing A, what he does, mm-hmm. um, and B, to if you listen to it and you're not against this kind of thing, they're not, you know, they're not shoddily produced. It's not, you know, the vocals aren't buried. They're super interesting. And I actually found, and again, this is an album I've definitely listened to thousands of times, you know, listened to the high res off title last night with a good DAC. And there's just beautiful orchestration of all these things going on. And as I said, the interesting thing we can do now is there's just like songs like When the Night Comes, Song from the Sky, which we'll get to, which we've got two or three other versions now. And Trust Yourself, which is the one that Keltner got bumped off of. And you can go back and hear the pre-Arthur Baker versions months before none of that same stuff. And you can understand why Dylan didn't want to put them out in that way, because then they're kind of just another guitar and singer song. And as you say, and that both in terms of the time and in terms of doing something different, Dylan doesn't have a vision. He's not driving for something, which in a lot of times in his career he was, but he's looking around you know, then production certainly should be part of the experimentation. Anyway, I I, I agree that uh, I, I don't see why Arthur Arthur Baker is um, a bad guy in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's still doing what he does, yeah. and he does it he does it super well. And this album, even listening to those alt versions, the studio originals, I I'm very glad that the Empire Burlesque versions uh, you know exist, and I would never you know relegate them and build a version out of the old takes only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gave the album an identity. I think that's that's what you can really say is, you know, he gave it a kind of a unification of sound. And, you know, some people just don't like that sound. And that's that's fine. But, you know, I do think, you know, he he was like you said, he was doing what he did with other albums, whether that fit with Dylan. I mean, that's for some people to argue. But but I, I certainly think, you know, like I said, I think it still sounds great. So next we have I'll Remember You. I think this is this is really one that starts getting in. It somewhat sometimes gets cut for the for the same reason make you feel my love does it's you know it's too simple too heartfelt too you know schmaltzy was the was the word we that got bandied about with make you feel my love a lot but it's you know it's sincere or it seems sincere and it's it's dylan put himself into it and did it you you rate it five stars one of the two best on the album yeah, you know, I'm glad you, that I, you, I was actually preparing for this. That was the same comparison I was thinking of making, is to make you feel my love. And there are just some people, again, it, it, to me, it's not fair to hold Dylan to a different standard than, than other songwriters, as even though he might have surpassed those standards throughout his career, he's right here just writing an adult contemporary song. That's basically what he's doing. And if you think that's easy, I mean, think of all the adult contemporary songs that are very popular that you never want to hear again, that just get on your last nerve. And I think he just does a fantastic job with I'll Remember You. You know, the words are simple, but they're kind of put together in a way that they get to the emotion. I love the bridge in particular. It kind of Dylan gives us one of those moments. I don't know that this ever happened, that he was ever out somewhere with the wind blowing in in their hair. But man, it sounds great, doesn't it? You know, like it sounds like this big moment. And I think that's what he's getting at in this song is that the people that mean the most to you, they've delivered these moments to you in their life. And then there's a little bit of sorrow in it because you get the sense that this relationship is over. And he's kind of looking back at it and he's saying, well, you know, we're probably at the end here. but 
it's meant so much to me and it's going to keep meaning so much to me as I go forward through life. I don't know if there will be other relationships that do mean this much to me, which is kind of the sadness inherent in the song as well. So I just think, I think it's, it, it's a great recording. I, I love Dylan's piano playing. That's, that's just something that always, always, always gets me on these songs. He's just got kind of an idiosyncratic way of playing the piano. Like he'll, He'll hit two chords, double them up instead of one when you least expect it. Little things like that to catch me. He's got Mike Campbell adding very subtle but very nice guitar touches on this song. So, so yeah, this is one I know a lot of people, they hear it, oh, schmaltzy, this, that. And it, for me, I, I think there's a place in the world for songs like this if they're done well. And again, this is what he's trying to achieve here. And I, I think he just knocked it out of the park. I just love this song. I've seen Dylan play live three times. He played it once live when I when I saw him, and I was just over the moon that he did. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm always in this song's corner, and that that was the case when I wrote this ten years ago, and it'll it'll still be the case uh, many years down the line. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode, become an FM Plus subscriber. Just $5 a month, and you get all of our extended episodes plus bonus episodes, not just from Dylan FM, but from Pod Dylan, The Dylan Taunts, and the new Watching the Covers Flow from Ray Paget. Sign up in Apple Music or fmpods.com. Did you enjoy this show? Then please rate this podcast and leave a review. It really helps. Also, sign up for seven days our free weekly newsletter that puts all the top Bob Dylan news and links into your inbox every Sunday. Use the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening.